It's time for the latest buzz on pets from around the corner, down the block, and across the world with award-winning journalist, author, speaker, educator, and host, Arden Moore. Arden has twice been named by Oprah Winfrey as one of her top three pet hosts. The New York Times has named Arden one of their top ten hosts. And just this year, the Dog Writers Association of America has given this show, Four-Legged Life, its top radio award. Arden is driven to live her motto, bringing out the best in pets and their people. So snuggle up with your favorite fur baby, because it's time for another episode of Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. And we'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Tevra Pet, for a happier and healthier pet. Online at tevrapet.com. And also by Soda Pup, committed to providing top quality American-made toys and enrichment products you can trust. Online at sodapup.com. And also our good friend Janice at Save My Pet ID Tag. Your pets are never alone when you own Save My Pet ID Tag. Online at savemypetidtag.com. Pause up, pet pals. Welcome to the Four-Legged Life Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Now get ready for a very, very special episode. That's because our guests are a pair of veterinarians, a father-daughter duo. I mean, what was veterinary medicine like three decades ago? How about today? Where are we headed? For answers, we are turning to our guest, Dr. Peter Weinstein and his daughter, Dr. Brooke Weinstein. Hey, welcome to the show, doctors. Thank you, Arden. Good to be here. Isn't it nice to hear the word doctor in front of your name, Brooke? How many weeks, days has it been since you earned your degree in veterinary medicine from Oregon State? I think it's been about two or three weeks. And yeah, the doctor part has not got, have not gotten used to that yet, but hopefully one day. (laughs) You'll earn it. I know. It's just so I thought it was pretty nice, everybody, pet pals, to get a father and daughter team. I was doing a little digging and Dr. Peter Weinstein, he heads up paw consulting. He's very well known in the veterinary field. He's been doing it for over three decades. And I read somewhere where you said the phrase, I did not encourage nor discourage my daughter, Brooke, to become a veterinarian. Please explain. You know, as as a parent, you learn a couple of things. If you tell your kid what to do, they do the opposite. And I, I just wanted to be encouraging. And so what I really set out to do is to give both my children opportunities through my network to do whatever they wanted to do. But they still had to take the initiative and show the gumption that that's what they wanted to do. So in Brooke's case, for example... When she showed an interest, I suggested that if she wanted to work for some hospitals, I could get her introduced. But it was still up to her to find the time, take the initiative, and move forward. And if she didn't like it, move on to something else. And if she did, then just just let me know how I could help. So I really just wanted to be a facilitator. It's a hard spot, Dad, isn't it? It, Yeah. Trying to be a diplomat and a dad, right? Yeah, it was fun to watch the progress. Well, on the flip side, Brooke, you know, you grew up and your your dad is very well known in the veterinary world. He's a consultant. He's been in practice before. I mean, he's won major awards. How did you 
approach your dad when you thought, you know, this is a field I too want to be in? I I can't remember specifically, to be honest. I think I was definitely in high school. I think I had just had like biology or like I took a pre-med class. So I was dissecting that and I was like, this is really fun. And like, why would I want to go into human medicine? So veterinary medicine sounds, sounds pretty fun. He was like, all right, like, let's put you in some surgery. See if you don't pass out, almost passed out my third surgery. That was probably from not eating breakfast. So, but yeah, I just, he kept placing me in hospitals and I kept wanting to go back. So I was like, well, I guess I'll stick with this until I don't like it anymore. And that hasn't happened yet. Well, I like that. Now you have a sister, Brianna, is that right? Yeah. She, what's her field? What's her area of interest? She's in sales. Um, okay. It's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Okay. So let's go to Oregon State. You're on stage. Tell us about your graduation day, which you you should know the date. You said two or three weeks ago, but what was it? Come on. I'm sorry. Um, I was- have a forearm tattoo. <laughs> no, I do not have my graduation date tattooed. It was June 18th. It was Father's Day. So that was my gift to him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Along with your tuition. Yes. <laughs> but no, it was it was a great day. I really was fortunate that my school allowed us to have our parents um, who were veterinarians hood us during the ceremony. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So there's two of us in our class who had um, someone in our families hood us. And so my dad got to hood me. Honestly, I think I blacked out a little bit on stage with all those people in front, but it definitely was a special moment. It was, I'm glad he got, we got that chance to do that. Think about this, Brooke. You can't script this any better. It's Father's Day. You actually like your father. He's a veterinarian and your school allows this policy. I mean, this is going to be hard to top next year for Father's Day, right? This is a gift you can't find on Amazon. (laughs) No. (laughs) And how about you, Dad? I mean, this has got to be one of the most proudest moments in your life, I hope. (laughs) No, it was very emotional. And even leading up to it, it was very emotional. I, I mean, I have lived vicariously through Brooke uh, over the last eight years or so, or 10 years, as she's gone through the process, because it seems just like yesterday, even though it was like 40 or 50 years ago, that I went through it myself. So the ability to get on the stage and, of course, being a Weinstein alphabetically, she's at the end. So I'm (laughs) sitting there for like two hours waiting for the rest of the freaking alphabet to go through. And then just to be able to get up there, put the hood on and to give her a hug on stage in front of, you know, three, four, five hundred people is really a proud moment. And one that fortunately was memorialized with pictures and videos and, you know, something that that I will continue to celebrate going forward. Hey, everyone, we're speaking with a pair of veterinarians. They're related. Father, daughter, Dr. Peter Weinstein, Dr. Brooke Weinstein. And after we take this break, we're going to dive into the world of veterinary medicine from their perspectives. So everyone just sit, stay. We'll be right back. Hey, Pet Pals, real quick. We've got full-length guest interviews out on the Arden Moore YouTube and Rumble channels. 
Got dog? Got cat? One of the best ways to show your pet how much you love them is to take a pet first aid class. Arden Moore is a master certified pet first aid CPR instructor and founder of Pet First Aid for You. Very cool! These classes are fun and practical and feature pet safety dog Kona and cat Casey. No way. Yes, a real dog and cat teaching duo. Wait, Wait, what? All classes are veterinary approved and are available in person or via Zoom. Ready to sign up for a class? Sorry, it's it's just for people. Arden Moore's Pet First Aid for You classes are proudly supported by Zinzi Pie's Save My Pet ID Tags. Pet parents who wear Zinzi Pie's Save My Pet ID Tags in bracelet, keychain, and pendant versions are assured that their beloved fur babies will continue to receive the loving care that they deserve, even if the pet parents are not able to provide it. Online at SaveMyPetIDTag.com. Welcome back to the uh, Four-Legged Life Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. This is a rare treat for all of us. We have a duo of veterinarians, father and daughter, Dr. Peter Weinstein and uh, Dr. Brooke Weinstein. Now, Dr. Peter, I think it's been a little bit of time since you earned your DVM from the University of Illinois. That's the place my mom and dad graduated from. Nice. Champagne and Brianna. Don't get mad. I went to Purdue. Anyway, I'm trying to, I don't want to age you because you're not, you're an ageless wonder. Uh, I was like Sheldon Cooper in <laughs> Big Bang Theory. I graduated from veterinary school at 12. There you go. May of 1986. So 37 years ago. What made you become a veterinarian? Did you have anybody else in the family that were veterinarians? No. So the story is my mom is a biology teacher. Okay. My dad was a CPA. So I spent a summer working for him and decided there is no way on God's green earth that I was ever going to become an accountant unless I wanted to spend my future with paper cuts. So my grandfather on my mother's side was a like a Marcus Welby, general practitioner. Oh, he nice. he lived, yeah. lived upstairs. His doctor's office was downstairs. And of course, every time he came to the house, he terrified me because I wasn't sure if he was going to give me a shot. But so I had a good connection with grandparents. No, it's not. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I had the gene pool in terms of biology and and medicine, other family members who were in the medical fields as well. But I grew up with cats and read all creatures, great and small. I mean, I'm the classic story of eating all, reading all creatures great and small and saying, I want to become a veterinarian at the age of 15. 50 years ago, I cleaned my first kennel in the 70s in a veterinary hospital in Port Washington, New York, during the parvo epidemic. And so wow. I've been doing this for a while. Well, you, you're, you mentioned parvo. So let's speed forward to today. And that is with you, Brooke. Your dad got to go to the University of Illinois and be in classrooms all the years it took to become a DVM. And there was much of a ritual and and you knew what to expect. But you went to Oregon State and got a curveball like many, many people. COVID. (laughs) No, I almost said a bad word. COVID. 
So can you share, you got approved and accepted to Oregon State, what year, and then tell us what impact COVID did, because I think you affectionately call it Zoom University. Yes. So I got accepted into Oregon before the pandemic. I started fall of 2019. So I started as if there was nothing wrong with the world. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, we all thought that. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So first, Oregon State is on the quarter system rather than semester system, actually. So first quarter was completely normal. Second quarter was completely normal up until the week before finals. And this week before finals was like back and forth. Are we having finals? Like, are we even going to have them? Like half the half of my professors didn't know how to administer an online final. So, yeah, so we had our last in-person class was the Friday before finals week and everything was still up in the air. So the whole weekend. Was that March or? Yeah, it was the week of my birthday, actually. (laughs) Yeah. That weekend, like everyone in my class is just checking their emails, checking their emails. Do we have to study for our finals? Because if we don't have to study for our finals, that's great. And then I think we... COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we finally get an email basically saying finals week will be, will not be in person. Professors either have to figure out how to give an online final over campus is what my school uses or to not give a final at all. So... So that's how our Zoom University worked was finals week of winter term. And then spring was all online. It was very interesting because this is the first time anyone has been forced to stay at home when I don't go a day without going outside because like my father, I can't sit still. <laughs> so yeah, spring term is was our large animal anatomy where we were supposed to be dissecting horses, cows, goats, sheep. Yeah, so we had online lab where our professors had pre-dissected these animals and were trying to like show us on our computer screens basically. And all of us are like 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 looking at our screens like what what's that gray spot you're pointing to? No. You're talking so, about learning to pivot and adapt. I mean, everybody was scrambling, right? All right. So when did you finally get to come back to campus? So second year we had second year we had like one lab, I think a month in the fall, which was like the like the ology labs. They combined them yeah. all into one lab. And we just so I think we had like maybe one bacteriology lab, one virology lab, one parasitology lab, like just to get us back in. Um winter. I honestly can't remember. And then spring was when we had our like intro to surgery. So I do remember we did have labs in the winter term of second year because we that's where we learned how to scrub in, how to gown up, how to fold our gowns, what the instruments were. Because in the spring of our third year is when we start our junior surgeries. That's when we do our spays and neuters. <clears throat> so then third year is when we were basically all back in person, but wearing masks. And then, but they were still allowing people to stay home if they had COVID, if they weren't comfortable coming in. So third year was a little bit more hybrid in the beginning. And then towards the end of the year is when everyone was kind of back. Well, I noticed that both of you write articles for today's veterinary business. So you describe being a vet student during COVID as a roller coaster. 
I want to ask you how, I mean, you really had to learn to adapt. How do you turn something like a COVID experience into a positive experience? What, what lesson have you learned about yourself and at, also as a veterinarian? Well, I, I think I learned that I'm pretty good with adapting to change. Like definitely stay at home time was not a fun time, but I was able to figure out how to deal with it, I guess, basically. So that was, I guess, pretty interesting to find out about myself. But okay. Well, we've then. got about 30 seconds before our break. Dad, Dr. Peter Weinstein, what was going through your mind? Because you had the normal conventional way of learning to be a veterinarian, and then you, your daughter's in vet school and everything's upside down. Well, my, my concern was the hands-on component of it because a lot of the didactic stuff can be assimilated through various portals, but I think the hands-on component and the labs were where I was concerned. But it sounded like from talking to Brooke that they had made some modify approaches. And I still have some interest to see how the classes of 22, 21, 22, 23 will do when it comes down to the clinical side of things going forward. But all of us in clinical practice are, are willing to accept the challenges that they had as students because we feel that they'll probably be stronger people coming out of it than they might have been if, through a traditional program. Hey, Pet Pals, we're speaking with Dr. Peter Weinstein and his daughter, newly named earned veterinarian, Dr. Brooke Weinstein. When we get back from this break, we're going to go in a, a time travel capsule back, current and future with this dynamic duel. So everybody sit and stay. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Four-Legged Life. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I love these guys. These guys have gutted through many challenges, and it is a father-daughter veterinary team. And I want to say you touched upon something, Dr. Peter Weinstein, that when you were graduating and getting into a veterinary field, parvo was the big word, right? What was kind of the the nasty situation? I think I'm trying to put it in context 30, 40 years ago, and you are an ageless wonder. I'm not aging you, although your daughter could snicker if she wants. But, I mean, shelters were called pounds. Animals were referred to as its. I mean, talk about, get us, put us in context three, four decades ago. Yeah, well, I, I think where I worked, hex were, were becoming part of the family. But Arden, okay. you'll remember... When we yeah, dealt with, I'm, um, I'm probably older than him. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you'll you'll remember when we dealt with fleas back in the good old days. We had bombs, and yes, you had powders, and bombs. I mean, you essentially had to put on a, a hazmat suit to treat your house and your pets for fleas. We also dealt with a lot of infectious disease, parvo being one from the 70s that we didn't have vaccinations for at, at that point in time, and so there's a lot of disease that we learned about and we've created prevention for. We've got all sorts of new treatments and therapeutics. It's just been very interesting to watch the progression of information. What I learned in veterinary school and what Brooke has learned in veterinary school are light years different 
in terms of the diagnostic tools that she has, the therapeutic tools she has access to, even some of the diseases. I was in veterinary school when Potomac uh, fever was, was entering into the equine world, and we really weren't sure what to do with it. So it, it's been a real interesting to watch the changes. And there is no way I would get through veterinary school in 2020. Oh, come on. What do you think, Brooke? You know your dad. He's a smart guy. He's got good genes. It might have been a challenge, but what do you think? Do you think your dad could have graduated today? I mean, based on how he described himself as a student, (laughs) nah, he would have been fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Hey, I I did okay studying for the NAVLI with you. You know, she showed me the test questions that she, she was using to study, and I was able to get the answers. So I guess even after over 30 years, I still have some of that, those synapses working. So, Dr. Brooke, what do you see as the main health challenges facing our pets today? What, what was emphasized for you going through Oregon State? I'm trying to condense four years of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> on the spot. Five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's um, new things on the horizon. There's new medicines, Apoquel. There's some things for kitty cats that you go once a month instead of having to do it every day. I don't remember. It starts with an S. I know it starts with an S. But, you know, yeah. you're learning a lot, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. It is interesting, though. What they teach in vet school is not the everyday GP. Okay. So, but they do teach you the thing, like they teach you about the allergies and they teach you about the preventative medications, which is super interesting that it was not a thing basically when my father was in vet school because I did my research project on tick prevention in dogs. Really? Yeah, I did. I did it. I did research on like the prevalence of tick-borne diseases in underserved communities in Oregon. And so basically took history on who was on prevention and who was on preventative cares and wellness clinics. Yeah, it was very interesting. And it was so interesting. what's your takeaway message now in 2023 on us combating this, this species that's been on the planet longer than us? Yeah. Prevention works. It, yeah, it really does. And People, everybody wants it. They just don't, they don't know they want it. It's very much a veterinarian needs to educate their client to understand why their pets need to be on prevention. And once they understand that, then they're, they're fully on board. Come on in on this one, Dr. Peter, because we can help our pets live a long time if we invest in preventive care. And I'm looking at my furry Brady Bunch and Yes, I know my veterinarian's middle name. <laughs> I, I think Brooke nailed it. I, I think we have pet owners who want to provide the best care possible for their pets. They don't always know where to go to get the information. And not all veterinarians are very good at taking the time to educate. I really do think that the role of a veterinarian is as, as a teacher. And our pet owners are students. And how good a teacher you are will determine how well the student does their homework, which is to give a monthly preventative or a collar or, or an injection, whatever the case may be. But if people aren't aware that there's a product or if they aren't aware that their pet is at risk, 
they don't know what they can do. So I, I do think that Brooke's point about education is spot on. And I, I think we, and I, I applaud you, Arden, for what you do in terms of educating consumers, but it's a, it's a team of people oh. who work to help educate pet owners about optimal care and the risks in their community. Because you're in Texas, you've got heat, you've got heartworm disease. We're in Southern California, we've got heat. We've got less heartworm disease, but we have other conditions. And so I, I think that what Brooke said about education is spot on. I agree. And just for the record, everyone, I am not a veterinarian. I don't play one on TV, but I do feel like I can go to people like Dr. Brooke and Dr. Peter. And my job is to give out good information to people that's been validated Years ago, as a there's something called newspapers, Brooke. I was actually uh, an investigative reporter for 20 years and covered sports, Super Bowls, space shuttles, and serial killers. And the best advice I ever got from one of my crusty old editors was, Arden, if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. So <laughs> I'm asking you, Brooke, we got about a minute left in this break. There are so many ways to get so much information but Dr. Google is not a DVM. So as someone growing up in the tech age and having Google and all these other things, how how do you wade through all this and find the right source? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it is. It's been years of figuring out how to do that. You kind of, as you have to wade through all the sources and skim through everything, I think I've kind of come come to like cross match them. If I see the same thing over again, if I see the same information using the same same statistics and two sources, I'm like, okay, that's correct. Um, if I gotcha. see, yeah, if I see like a ninety percent in this and five percent in that, I'm like, okay, that's for another time to figure out. They don't know enough about that. <laughs> that was very diplomatic. Okay, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then again, like know your sources if they are like proven accurate sources, published sources. But honestly, I guess when it comes to veterinary medicine, go to your vet because yes. you're going to find everything and anything online when it comes to literally anything for your pets. So your veterinary's office should have pamphlets on things and they should be up to date. If they're not, then I guess that's a different problem. But yeah, if the pictures are in black and white, run. <laughs> hey, we're speaking with Dr. Peter Weinstein and his daughter, Dr. Brooke Weinstein. We've got we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to look at the future of veterinary medicine from the perspective of two different generations. So sit, stay. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Four-Legged Life Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Uh, I'm getting schooled in a good way from the Weinsteins, a great team, veterinary team. Now, Brooke, you just graduated. Sorry, excuse me, Dr. Brooke, showing my manners. You, you're, you threw me for a loop before we got on the show. You are in California, but where are you going to begin practicing veterinary medicine? It's not that close, is it? No, I accepted a job in Cairns, Australia, to work at a small animal GP. <laughs> a Cairns, Australia? Okay, talk talk to me. What's what's going on in that? What made you say yes to that? 
Well, ever since I was in high school, I just had this fascination with Australia, probably because of their super cool animals, to put it in simple terms. And so in so that my final year of vet school, I was also my school was great. And we had the opportunity to get experience outside of our university. <clears throat> and I had about two months off. So I was like, let's see if I can get some work experience in Australia. Oh my so gosh. <laughs> Yeah. So I did that. Both places I was at said, if you want a job, just ask. And I was like, I want a job. <laughs> How are the koalas? Very cute. Very cute. They are cute. I mean, dad, that's a little bit of a distance. You can't really meet for dinner on a Sunday night. No, but I couldn't meet for dinner on a Sunday night when she was in Corvallis either, even when she was in San Luis Obispo. I, when Brooks said, she wanted to go to Australia. I said the same thing I said when she said she wanted to be a veterinarian. What can I do to help? All right, good. And so good. I have been supportive of the concept. I love the fact that instead of having to go vacation with her in San Diego, I can go vacation with her in, in uh, Australia. And, <laughs> you know, we'll probably talk as often as we did in the past. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit tougher to have that Sunday night dinner. But yeah, what's the time difference? Eight hours. hours. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Someone's having breakfast and someone's having dinner. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. We're, I uh, I have colleagues that I work with in Australia, and uh, we have to negotiate: Are we going to do lunchtime, my time, which is breakfast time, their time? But it's it's interesting to to work through the through the the process. And um, no, I'm I'm very excited about the opportunity that she's got. I think the location is wonderful. And, and you know, I, I think Brooke made some very intelligent choices. She did the right things. And I, I think it's going to be a great opportunity to take advantage of now, because if she took a position here, it would be in the United States, it would be much harder down the road Absolutely. to make that change. So I, I'm fully on board and fully supportive. Well, we alluded to it because of Zoom. We all wish we had bought stock in it in the fall of 19. We'd be all wealthy right now. But Brooke, because you're new to the game of veterinary medicine and you have learned, you grew up in the Google age, if I may say so. Where do you see veterinary medicine heading? And I know your dad's going to talk about it too, but telehealth is seeming to be sort of coming on strong because there's not enough veterinarians and there's a ton of pets. Yeah, I... Interestingly, don't, or maybe not interesting because I've been in university for the last four years, but I don't have a whole lot of experience with telehealth and vet med. I heard of a lot of stories of receptionists at animal hospitals being, or having, being FaceTimed by their clients and being like, what's wrong with my dog? And then being like, make an appointment. <laughs> but it's I a definitely, for you though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of, me and all of my classmates are getting Facebook messages, Facebook posts, Instagram direct messages <clears throat> from people back in high school, elementary school being like, there's a spot on my dog. What's wrong? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and all of us are just respond, bring to the vet. <laughs> all right. Now, your dad, like me, grew up, you know, with Gutenberg printing press. Just kidding. But we we came into the social media world after years of fax machines and things like that, landlines, you know, cable, TV. I know that's scaring you, Brooke. But you've seen the evolution, Dr. Peter Weinstein. 
I mean, where are we heading in the next five years when it comes to veterinary care? Well, I think we're heading in a lot of positive directions. I think we have to, you know, just take a, a step back and look at globally what we want to accomplish, which is the ability to provide a better level of care to all people, no matter their <laughs> economic status or where they live in the country. Good. And so I, I think we have to recognize that the ability to provide veterinary care at the human level, which is what we can do now, can be daunting, can be intimidating, and can be expensive. So how do we address the cost of care? How do we address the availability of care in veterinary deserts, such as even downtown Los Angeles, where there are no veterinarians in a close proximity, or in the Central Valley of California yeah. or parts of Texas? So I think telehealth and technology are great, but they have limitations. And I think we have to figure out how we can take advantage of technology so that we can speed things along, improve our efficiency, improve our effectiveness, improve our productivity. But the one thing about veterinary medicine you cannot give up in the face of technology is touchology. We are so built on relationships that if, if technology takes over and we lose that relationship, I think we lose our profession. We don't want upcoming veterinarians like Dr. Brooke to become a robot. We, we don't want AI to t suddenly take over your world. Are you, I mean, it's a balancing act. I think when I'm hearing from you, Dr. Peter, for your daughter, and speak up here, Dr. Dr. Brooke, you got to be a major time manager because you've got a phone now and you've got a tablet or a laptop or anything. You are getting bombarded from all different areas. When your dad was a veterinarian, it was a phone. It was a visit into the lobby. How do you deal with time management when you're getting requests from different avenues, different? Yeah. I mean, I guess I have grown up with it since being in sixth grade or maybe like high school. Uh -huh. So I guess I'm pretty used to it and maybe don't think about what I'm doing, but you learn which ones to ignore and which ones okay. are important or, I mean, or it comes to spend less time on each bombardment, <laughs> which again is also not a good thing, but yeah. you kind of have to do what you have to do so that yourself doesn't go crazy. <laughs> yes. And you got to have an outlet. What's something you like to do for fun? I like being outside. I go on a lot of hikes or at least when I was in Oregon and when I'll be in Australia, I'll have the same opportunities. Oh, absolutely. We got about 30 seconds left. Dr. Peter, what's something for the cats to give us hope? What's something you've said? Yeah, this is, I'm glad it's 2023 going forward for kitties. I, I think we have ignored cats and pain. And I yeah. think the new products that are analgesic for cats that are pain-based for cats will give them a higher quality of life and contribute to the quantity of life. I think cats are such good hiders of discomfort that we don't know that they're not comfortable until they're really uncomfortable. So the ability to have access to safe products that will make our cats more comfortable is something that we should be taking advantage of and making our clients know that we have. And lastly, what's something that makes you proud about your daughter? I think Brooke's focus, I think Brooke's dedication to the profession and, and, I, and I think Brooke's resilience throughout the last four years have made me, I was proud before, 
I'm even more proud now. And Brooke, what's something about your dad that you admire? His his dedication to the profession. He's a very humble man. I don't always know what he does, but everyone who surrounds him always comes up to me and be like, your dad has done A through Z. And I'm like, oh, wow. Did not know that. <laughs> you guys are making me cry. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> hey, it has been my honor to have uh, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Brooke Weinstein on our show. I also want to give a big shout out to all the radio stations coast to coast who air our show. You can also catch it as a podcast and on uh, YouTube, Art and More. And humbly, this show, this radio show was voted the top radio show by the Dog Writers Association of America recently. I did not get a new car, but it takes a village. And I want to thank the producers and everyone behind me that keeps this show going. I want to thank all you pet pals for tuning in. So until next time, this is Arden Moore saying to all you two, three, four leggers out there, pause up. Thanks for listening to this episode of Arden Moore's Four-Legged Life. And we'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Tevra Pet, for a happier and healthier pet. Online at tevrapet.com. And also by Soda Pup, committed to providing top quality American-made toys and enrichment products you can trust. Online at sodapup.com. And also our good friend Janice at Save My Pet ID Tag. Your pets are never alone when you own Save My Pet ID Tag. Online at SaveMyPetIDTag.com. For more information about the host, to listen to past programs, and watch video versions of our guest interviews, our website is FourLeggedLife.com. And have a pawsome week.